Hello and welcome to Quick Looks from the Long View. This is episode number seven. Uh, this is being recorded on September 22nd, 2015. And in this episode, Lloyd and I are going to be featuring reviews of two new games, La Granja from Stronghold Games and New York 1901. As always, I'm joined by my co-host for Quick Looks, uh, Lloyd Keller. Uh, Lloyd, uh, today I'd like you to say hello as, uh, uh, let's see, uh, that, that kind of like uh, parody from, what was that, Spaceballs? Uh, was that what it was? Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking so. All right, so Lloyd, say hello that way. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtag girl. That's fantastic. You know what that is, too? That's a, See, you said that that was like from Spaceballs. It is. It's yeah. the little alien that jumps out of his chest at the end. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Oh, no. See, he I jumps up on the bar and he starts doing a little dance Does he really? with, with the hat with and the, the cane and he That's sings awesome. a little song. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, when, when, when I heard you, say, you know, singing that, I thought to myself, no, man, that's the frog. From the old like Warner Brothers, where the dude finds the box with the frog, and every time he shows it to people, it just goes, right? But anytime the people are around, he's like, "Hello, my sugar. Hello, my honey." Right? And he like does his whole little song and dance, and then he just like drops down to the ground, like exactly, (laughs) exactly, right? So I think about the old Warner Brothers cartoon. Uh, you think about space balls. I think that has something to do with uh, our ages. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, Lloyd, nice to have you on the show as always. Thanks for stopping by and uh, um, talking with us tonight about uh, these two interesting games. So, uh, first of all, uh, I think we, we wanted to take a look at the game Lagranha. Uh, this is a game that you and I are both pretty uh, darn familiar with because... We've played it quite a bit, and uh, it's also a game that uh, you demoed like almost constantly when we were at Gen Con. So, uh, full disclosure here, um, uh, Lloyd and I both uh, volunteer at the Stronghold booth uh, when we go to uh, Gen Con. Uh, you know, Stephen uh, uh, always asks for help, and we're always happy to help him. And, uh, you know, when we go out there, we usually uh, try to do a little bit of booth work for him. And, uh, you know, this is a game that uh, Lloyd and I kind of requested uh, I was kind of hoping, you know, that either he or I would get it um, because it's kind of right up our alley as far as kind of a, an economic sort of a euro goes. And so, yes, uh, you know, we, we do kind of have that affiliation with Stronghold, so I just wanted to kind of make that clear. But uh, I think people who've been listening to the show for a while know that, uh, you know, it, it's not like it's a uh, pay-for-play kind of a thing. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, we like this game. So, you know, that's the cat out of the bag. But the question is, why do we like it? And so... Uh, I wanted to kind of let you kind of take point on this, Lloyd, because while I've played the game quite a few times, you've played it like tons because (laughs) you demoed it for four days, basically, uh, at Gen Con. And so uh, this is a game that was designed by Michael Keller and uh, uh, Andreas uh, Odenhall. Uh, This is a game that was originally published uh, by Spielworks, and then Stronghold kind of picked up the North American distribution rights. Um, And so this game was kind of uh, uh, launched, I think, uh, at Gen Con uh, here domestically uh, with the Stronghold edition of the game. And uh, I remember when this thing first came out, it was, you know, on sale at Fun Again or something, and it was like, you know... $90 or something, you know, in order to get the game because it was the Spielworks edition, which they don't do really big print runs. And so I remember like seeing it and hearing good buzz about it, but I just was like, nah, I heard Steven was going to do it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to buy it for that. I'll, I'll wait till Steven's publication comes out and see whether, you know, uh, you know what I think of it. And so the buzz kind of kept building and building. Uh, my curiosity kept increasing. And then finally, I had the chance to play it. So before we kind of dive into the things that I like about it, I was, you know, just wondering if you could kind of give a brief overview, if you can, of La Granja and how the game's played, what the goals are, things of that nature, Lloyd. Sure, I can certainly do that. As I told just about every demo group that I saw <laughs> at Gen Con, if you took Glory to Rome and you took a little bit of Agricola, and you took a little bit of Castles of Burgundy, and they had a wonderful love child together, it would be this game. Because it takes some of the best elements of those three games. But who's the baby daddy? Well, (laughs) I don't know. Let's see. I would probably go with... 
the uh, designers clearly say they ripped off Carl Chudik. Oh, okay. And that they loved Glory to Rome so much they just had to use that mechanic in so the game. So then Carl so Chudik would be the baby daddy. Carl Chudik's going to be the baby <laughs> okay, daddy of the right. game. So, um, this so they is, actually credited Carl Chudik like in the in the, the Oh the my goodness, the, yeah. the last page of the rule book is pretty funny because... Uh, the designers clearly say that they ripped off some of these things from their favorite games. Well, that's fantastic, though, because, I mean, there's been so many people <laughs> who have uh, used the Dominion engine, for example. And I know that, like, Donald Vaccarino has been on record many times as saying that he had been some, he had a little bit out of shape about it because people didn't, like, give him his his props, you know, his due for building that engine that then everybody kind of took, right? So I think it's really kind of classy that these designers were, like, right out front saying, hey, you know... Just want to give a tip of the hat to Carl because you know this he's one of the major inspirations behind the game. So uh, all right, I think we have now done I feel like it's like a Jerry Springer show or something. Like it's like, and now we'll bring out the contestants who's the baby daddy. It's like the DNA test says Carl Chinnick! Carl Chinnick! <laughs> All right, anyway, uh, so now that I've totally thrown you off here. Jerry, Jerry. It's like the worst happens. show this ever. This is what happens when we try to it record is. at 8 o'clock at night. It is. <laughs> and, like, Jerry's just, like, the worst show ever. It's like just appeals to, like, the worst, basest instincts of human nature, you know? It's like and that it's... whole Peter Gabriel tune, the Barry Williams <laughs> show, you know? But it's like a train wreck. You can't it is. turn it off oh once you get it on. Anyway, well, thankfully I don't turn it on. But anyway, um, <laughs> all right, so they had a love child. Let's pick it up from there. Go ahead. So you, you have a really nice um, farming game going on here. I guess it takes place in the town of La Granja. And the whole goal of the game is you're trying to get the most victory points by delivering uh, a lot of different things that you can produce and grow and raise on your farm. So the main type of resources in the game. You have olives, which can eventually become olive oil. Nice. You have grapes, which will eventually become wine. Dig it. Um, I'm sorry. The olives become food. Food? Because, yeah, there's two ways you can... they're olive oil. No, no, no. There, oh, there, right. There's two ways you can have food in the game. You can have a big pot of olives, apparently, for olive soup, which is, I guess, something you eat. And then okay. you've got this great big pot of wheat. So you're just dumping a bunch of wheat into a pot. But at any rate, the, the wheat <laughs> and the olives can become food in the game. Nice, nice. Shown by a giant so kettle like pot. Loaf or something? No, it's not <laughs> even a loaf. It's just a giant pot. Anyway, go ahead. But you do have pigs that are on your farm, and nice. when you raise They're pigs, tasty. they are tasty because they become ham. Nice. And they become really tasty ham. Tasty ham and bacon. And if, if you name the pigs, they're even tastier. <laughs> And then, of course, you have on your farm, you have this weird thing that's a crate. And this is called the trade commodity. And this is kind of like a wild in the game. Because when you turn in a marker that's a trade good or a trade commodity, it can become lots of different things. It can give you money. It can give you two non-matching types of produce. It can give you a pig. It can give you the ability to play a card. Uh, just lots of different things. It's really cool. So the heart of the game is you've got a player board that's yours, and then you've got the main board. And when I was explaining to the groups at Gen Con, I started with the main board. So if you were to look at the main board, you would see in the center is a market. And the market stalls that are going to go out will go into spaces that are numbered anywhere from 2 to 6. And that's the value of not only the market stall and the points you're going to get when you build that market stall, but it also has to do with the size and the quantity of stuff that you're delivering, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Then around the outside of the market are six different buildings. And these are like your larger markets that as the marketplace grows, they're going to start to open up. So you've got your butcher, which is looking for just pig deliveries. Right. You're looking for kind of like the produce place that's looking for olives and it's looking for grapes and it's looking for wheat. But then you have your general store where you're trying to deliver just about one of everything. You've got a bank that's looking purely for delivery of money. Right. And then you've got the trade commodity store where these very precious wild things that you can collect, these trade commodities, you can actually take them to one of the market's buildings and, and use them there. And the last one is, is like the upgraded products. So it's looking for ham, it's looking for the wine, and it's looking for the 
olive or wheat food, whatever it is that you made. And as you deliver to these different bigger buildings, you're going to use your player markers um, and they're going to stay on those buildings until you complete an entire row yourself. Once you've completed a building, if you're the first player, you're going to get like a bonus. You'll get some sort of victory point. You might get to open up another building if there's still some that are closed, which is kind of cool. But then each building has its own specific bonus tile that goes with it. And all the bonus tiles are the same. Three of them have to do with what's called income in the game, which at the beginning of every round, when you're taking income, you might get something like a free resource. You might get more money. As a matter of fact, when you deliver to the bank, you have to submit and deliver six coins, which is a lot during the game. But when you finish that sixth coin and you've completely fulfilled that delivery to the bank, you're going to get three coins immediately. And then for the rest of the game, at the start of every round, you get three coins. Right. So it's really kind of cool the it's way that like these building... It's like an investment. It is an investment. You're investing your money in the bank and then you're going to get your payout, right? Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. getting you know this nice return um, on what you've done so far in the game. But then the other three buildings have to do with generating additional victory points mm-hmm. in a various different ways. Also on the main board, you have a really neat action selection space that uses dice. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. And then on the far side, you have the siesta track. Right. And this was one of my favorite things to explain in the game because turn order is based on how much you nap. Right. <laughs> and all the players got a kick out of that because I'm like, you know... If you think about it, if you're running a farm, the more you sleep, then the faster you're going to wake up the next day. So if you spend a lot of time taking siestas and you use those siestas and move up in turn order on the track, well, you're going to be first for the next round. And they're like, wow, that's a really good way to think of it. Right. But right. if you don't siesta and you do nothing but deliver, deliver, deliver. And work. And work yourself to the bone, you're probably going to be in last place for the next round. So there's a nice little balance there. Then on your player board, you have a lot of different things going on. Oh, yeah. You're a farmer, and you've got your nice little farmhouse, but apparently you're not much of a carpenter because you never put a roof on your farmhouse. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things you have to do in the game is build your roof every round. Why does my things keep getting wet? (laughs) I don't understand. So as you accumulate and buy these roof tiles throughout the game, they're cool because they give you a one-time bonus. Right. And the best part about it is you can use that one-time bonus anytime you want. So in the first round, if you spend a, a silver because it's the first round and they're cheap, you spend a silver and you buy a roof tile that has a pig on it, you could wait until the third, fourth, even fifth round of the game before you flip that tile over and claim your single pig. But you also have on your player mat four different sides where you're going to be tucking the different cards. Right. So coming from the top of your board, you have three empty spaces for what are called your market borrows. And you can kind of think of it like a wheelbarrow, but it's a lot larger because it's going to be carrying anywhere from... Two to four, possibly five. Unique. Isn't there, wasn't there? I think there were some that were five, weren't they? No. Well, no, they only have up they to only have four. four. Okay, I thought it was five. All right, go ahead. But anywhere from two to four, possibly unique things that you're going to need to deliver to that barrow before it even goes to the market. On the underside of your board, you have room for three workers. And kind of like in Glory to Rome, where cards have a building in the center that gives you an ability once it's been built. Mm-hmm. The cards in the game, one of their many uses is they become a worker. And the cool thing is every single worker in this game is unique. Right. So every time I've played this game, I've had an entirely different engine. Except for the fact that somehow I always get the deer breeder in like my first round of cards. And the deer breeder is this card that says for every open pig stable you have, you get a coin. So for not having pigs, you actually make money. And I haven't won a game yet playing with the Deer <laughs> So now I tend to pass that up when I see it in yeah, my yeah, hand, yeah, and yeah. I use it in a different way. Now, from the left side of your board, your cards can slide under and they become production fields. And this is one of the main ways in the game of getting the different resources, getting your wheat, getting your olives, the getting grapes, your grapes. Yeah. And the interesting thing about these production fields is... 
you can produce on them every round as long as they're empty. And that's one of the things I pointed out to new players as I was showing them yeah, the I game. Yeah, I struggled with that, yeah. Is yeah. that they never leave the fields to go somewhere else unless they're a delivery. Right, right. Or unless you take them and upgrade them into something better. So a wheat from your field could become that nice yummy pot of wheat stew. <laughs> wheat soup. Wheat soup. It's like Oliver Twist. Lisa, <laughs> can I have some more? Right? It's a nice little plop sound yeah, when it yeah, goes into the bowl. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, but if you have no need for that wheat soup, that food, and it just sits on there until the following round, you don't produce another right. wheat in that field. Right. And then last but not least, on the right side of your board, you have the only spot where you actually have to pay something to put a card into play. And these are called the farm extensions. They can do one of... Actually, they do exactly two of three different things. They either give you another space for a pig... Mm-hmm. Or they give you an extra delivery that you're able to make with your little gray donkey. Mm-hmm. Or that'll they do, give donkey. you... That'll do, donkey. <laughs> or they give you one coin as an income. And you right. get exactly two of those things for each right. extension that you make. They always increase your hand size by one. Right. But they get expensive because the first of these farm extensions that you build costs you one of something. Now, it could be a silver coin. It could be a victory point. It could be any one piece of produce. It could be a pig. It could be an upgraded piece of right. produce. or Wheat a, soup. A, it could be your wheat soup. You could give them wine. I don't know why you'd want to waste your wine on a farm extension, but you could. But then the second card you play after that costs you two unique things. And then the third costs you three unique things. So while you do get a lasting bonus for each one of these cards Mm -hmm. throughout the game, it gets really expensive really fast. And I don't think I saw ever anybody build more than three. Right. Because once you hit four and five... Yeah, the economy of the game stops you The economy of the game stops you, and you're spending so much of your valuable resources... To add one more card that might give you another coin. In a limited round game. It's a limited round game. So you've got a lot of great things going on with the player board. Now the game plays over six rounds. And in each round, you essentially do the same thing. The first phase of the game is considered your, your farming phase. And in the little player aid, it's indicated by a blue circle with the number one. And that's important because some of the cards actually reference that phase by using the same shade of blue uh, through the player, or not the player, through the uh, worker's name. Right, yeah, the title, right? So at the beginning of the game, uh, at the beginning of every round, you're going to get to first play a card out of your hand, and then you draw a new card. Now, at the beginning of the game, you get to play two cards out of your hand. Right. But then you only draw one new card up to your maximum hand limit. Then the next thing you're going to do is indicated by a, please, sir, can I have some more? Go with that Oliver Twist. Nice, nice. It's a hand that looks like it's looking for a handout. That's your income. Right. And you're going to look along the right side of your player board, and you've got this nice little blue river, and any tiles that you collect that give you income go there. But also, that river gets extended by those cards you might build mm-hmm, in your farm mm-hmm. extension. And anything you have there that's a plus is going to give you income. At the start of the game, unless you build a farm extension, you get nothing, and you right. like it. Right. <laughs> then, in player order... Um, well, actually, a lot of this happens simultaneously. Everybody takes their income at the same time. Right. Then everybody produces at the same time. Now, you're going to produce on any open fields that you have on the left side. Right. And just like in Agricola, if you have two pigs and the room for another pig, which means you have an empty pig stable. It's a baby. They give you a baby. <laughs> and that's the best one to use for the ham. That's it's right. still tender. You cradle it. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing in that first I just phase, lost all the vegetarian listeners. <laughs> They're all did. gone. <laughs> Let's go back to the olive soup. Yes, again. olive soup. Yes. And wheat. <laughs> and it's black There's olives no too. It's your wheat. favorite. That's right. Oh, I know. Black <laughs> olives are nasty. All right. Go so ahead. the last thing you get to do is in player order, uh, you get to buy one of the roof tiles. Now, it's interesting to note there's six rounds in the game, but you only have five spaces 
of roof that you need to cover. So you can conceivably skip over one entire round of buying a roof tile and still completely max out your roof by the end of the game and get the maximum of 10 victory points by covering your entire roof by the end of the game. Dude, why are you playing with a pen? <laughs> He's so tired. All right, so anyway, moving on. Moving the right next along. The next part of the game... It fell apart. Go it ahead. did fall apart. It fell apart. The me. next part of the game is all about... Um, using the action dice, which I haven't really talked about yet. And they are very cool. They are they are very cool. This is the Castles of Burgundy. This would be like the stepdad. This is the stepdad. This is the stepdad who moved in, right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. So you've got enough dice in the game to have two dice rolled per player playing plus one additional die. And I'll get to that in a minute. It's very interesting. So if Jeff and I are playing the game, we're going to roll five dice. And those dice are numbered one through six. On the main board, you have spots for the values of one through six. Any ones that are rolled could possibly be a pig. Any twos that are rolled give you one unique resource or the ability to play a card. Any threes that are rolled give you two non-matching resources. Any fours that are rolled give you money. Nice. Any fives that are rolled give you the chance to kind of take a preemptive nap at that point of the game <laughs> because you can move in the siesta track. I wish to take a preemptive nap. I or like you can upgrade things on your player board without having to pay for them. Usually you have to pay something to do it. Or you can take a siesta and you can upgrade something. And then the last spot, the six gives you the chance to do an early delivery, one delivery, with your donkey, or maybe get a little bit of money. And so the interesting thing about the game is, if Jeff is the start player, he's going to take one die and immediately do that action. Right. Then I'm going to take one die and immediately do that action. Then it's back to him. He's going to take one die and immediately do that action. You're going to take the best die. You're going to take the best die. And now, I have two dice left. And I have a really interesting choice because whatever I don't pick as my last die, Jeff and I both get to do. So I automatically know I'm going to do both of these last two choices. My question to myself is what do I want to deny Jeff? So nothing. I might nothing. I'm going to deny you, you everything. You want to deny me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so if I'm looking at a four, which could possibly give both of us four bucks. And I'm looking at a three where we can each possibly get two non-matching resources. Now I might have to stop and look at what Jeff has. Does he really need resources There's right now? There's nothing to see here. There's plenty to see. <laughs> Do I want to starve right. him of those resources? Or if my fields are full. Or if your fields are full. Right. Well, no, because these resources would go immediately to those resource huts. Oh, oh, I like that. Yes. That's good. So I don't remember that. Yes. Did you teach me that? I certainly I think did. That's why I lost the no, last time I played. Totally not oh, why you this lost. is bush league. I think you totally did not teach me this rule. So I have to look and see: is he is he more in the mood for, and is he looking to get money, or does he really need those resources? Because I know I'm going to get both of these choices. Right. But what am I going to deny Jeff? And this is to me one of the coolest things in the game because. It makes being in last place worth it. Yeah. Especially in a four-player game, when you can look around the table and you know you're getting last choice, what are you going to deny the rest of the table? Now, that doesn't always come up. There are going to be some times where the last two dice happen to be the same two dice. Right. And that's an unfortunate choice for being in fourth place because... Big whoop, you get one more of the exact same choice that everybody, everybody else, else gets. gets. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't always happen. Then the next part of the game is your transportation phase. And this is where player order suddenly becomes super important because right. it's all about the market. It's all about getting your wheelbarrows out there first. It's a nasty market. It's a it nice is fight. a yeah. very nasty market, and it's a lot of fun. So every single thing that you transport is a single delivery. So if I'm sitting on three grapes and two wheat, and I look at a wheelbarrow that I have tucked into my board that needs two grapes and one wheat, 
I would have to make three deliveries that each go to that wheelbarrow from my farm somewhere. Right. So every player in the game has the same four tiles, and these are your donkey tiles. They tell you how many siestas you're going to take and how many deliveries you're going to make. You can take four deliveries, you can take three deliveries and a nap, two deliveries, two naps, or one delivery and three naps. That's a power nap. And that's a power nap right there. (laughs) The first thing that happens once everybody selects their tile and reveals them simultaneously, everybody moves in siesta order on the siesta track based on the tile that they picked. And the cool thing is, turn order will then change immediately. So if you were banking on being able to deliver first... Guess what? You probably can't now because you make a lot of deliveries, you're going to probably end up going last. Then in turn player order, everybody makes the full value of deliveries that they are able to or want to from their donkey tile. Now that can go to the wheelbarrows or the market barrows that are in their player area that they've already tucked under their board. Or those deliveries can go, again, one for one out to those buildings that I talked about. And when a building um, gets delivered to, you're going to leave your marker there until you fill up an entire row on your own. If you complete a wheelbarrow or a market barrow, I'll just call them market barrows because that's easier. If you complete a market barrow, it's going to tell you the value of the stall that's going to be created in that market. So if I just completed two grapes and a wheat, like I said a moment ago, that might be a level three or maybe even a level four stall. I'm going to look out on the board now, and I have a really interesting choice. I can put that four stall, well, anywhere that's a number four. But if there are any opponents with a lower valued stall next to where I place mine, I get to put them out of business. Yeah. And by knocking them out of business, that gives me an additional victory point for each market stall that I essentially kick out of the market. So I could play it safe and maybe put it over on the side where it's not going to get knocked out right away by somebody else and only score four points. Or I might throw it down somewhere in the middle knock out two of my opponent's stalls with a three and a two and actually score myself six points. Once everybody has delivered in turn order, everybody has the option of delivering additional deliveries by paying one gold silver per delivery up to the maximum number of deliveries they have available on their board. And that was one of those things that the farm extensions give you. Everybody has pre-printed on their board the ability to make one extra delivery. So even if I chose the one donkey and three siestas as my tile, if I have a silver coin left, I could still make one more delivery after the round of the donkey tiles. Then we go into the final phase of the round where we do some just preliminary scoring. You're going to look out into the market, and for every stall you still have in that market you're going to get a victory point. You're also going to look at the siesta track, and based on where you are on the siesta track, you might be getting some additional victory points. At that point, the siesta track returns back to its start position, but in current player order, with first being on top, last being on the bottom. We get a new set of tiles that come out to show the new roof tiles available for the next round, And then we go back and we do that through the rest of the game. Six more times, or I guess five more times for the full game. Now, the really cool thing is you start to see a very natural ramp up of what you're able to do. Because at the start of the game, you don't have much that you can do. You might only have a production field. You might have uh, maybe just one market borrow or maybe one worker. But as you go deeper and deeper into the game and you get the ability to play more cards by doing different things like taking that action selection spot or maybe by using those cool trade commodities. I didn't tell you, you get those trade commodities by delivering a full market borrow to the market. Yeah, there's some things that you didn't tell. 
There's probably a lot of things I didn't tell, but why don't you refresh my memory of them? <laughs> but you will keep going through this until you reach the end of the game. Now, the only thing that's additionally scored at the end of the game are any covered up roof spots that you have that show victory points. And for every $5 you still have, you get a victory point. So you're going to look at your board at the end of the game and you're going to sell anything that has a sale price on it right. for its value. Of interesting note, you can never sell from your fields, which is pretty cool. I like that idea. I don't. I really like that idea because <laughs> it makes you use them That's true. instead of letting use them sit there. Yeah. And whoever has the most victory points at that point wins the game. Winner. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. No. Ham dinner. Ham dinner. <laughs> Olive dinner? Olive dinner. <laughs> well, Lloyd, I want to thank you for uh, that uh, rather extensive overview. I think, like, you know, that that is, uh, uh, you know, clearly you know the game, you understand the game. I tease you, but I, I know you know uh, and understand the game. And uh, I hope you enjoy that limoncello I poured for you there. I That's do. Some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I might sing the La Grandma have, song later. You have a little bit of a sore throat, I know. So I wanted to give you a little limoncello <laughs> to make you feel better. <laughs> anyway. Thank you. So I appreciate that. Here's the deal. I really like this game. And uh, I, I want to talk about a few of the reasons why. Okay. So... The first thing that I like about the game is the multi-use cards and the uniqueness of the cards. That reminds me, I mean, that's clearly the Chuddock roots, right? Mm -hmm. Because, and you have a game like Innovation, where every single card is unique. And this feels very, very similar. And this is what I really appreciate about it, because it gives you that huge amount of replay of, uh, replayability and variety and different kind of paths and, and you know, to victory and, and ways to score and ways to sort of set up your engine. So I really like that about the game. I also physically like that about the game. I think that physically, from a user interface standpoint, ergonomically, whatever term you want to use, okay, I think it's very well designed because the way you tuck those cards and the way that board, it's a weird looking board when you first it punch really it. It really is. You're like, what is up with this thing? It's got all these weird little notches and holes and, you know, <laughs> but once you start playing the game, you're like, wow, this is actually really well designed because if I slide it into one of those barrows up at the top of my board, the only thing I see are the goods. I don't see the rest of the card. It's not there to distract me. It's not right. there to confuse me. If I slide it to the left or the right, all that I see are the fields or the income, uh, per, you know, uh, pig farm kind of production stuff. If I slide it underneath, all I see is the text, yeah. you know, telling me what my new ability is, right? So I think from a design standpoint, that's also a really strong aspect of the game. The other thing that I like is the fact that while it very much feels like a classic Euro, where I have my thing and you have yours, and let's see who does better... There's a lot of player interaction in the game. There's a lot more than I think in a typical Euro, right? So it has that kind of Castles of Burgundy. There's the stepdad, right? There that it is. Castles of Burgundy kind of feel. But Castles of Burgundy is almost completely uh, multiplayer solitaire, uh, other than maybe some basic counter drafting or blocking or whatever. It, you have your own kingdom, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's really nothing there that you can really directly interact with the other players. Whereas in Lagranha, with the dice selection mechanic, with the market, uh, which is just brutal. Yes, um, it is. You know, there's so many different ways that you're kind of actually interacting and you're actually concerned about what the other players are doing. And you're worried about what tile, you know, what delivery tile they're going to put out. How is that going to affect turn order? Am I going to be able to finish my row to open up this building before you finish it? Which means you'll get the bonus tile and I won't. You know, there's all kinds of things that you need to be worried about that have everything to do with the other player. I also love, um, I'm not going to go into any detail about it because you've already explained it so well, the dice mechanic in the game. I think, <laughs> you know, so many of these games, if you're going last, it is a punishment, you know, clearly it's a punishment in game terms. Like, it is. If you go last in Agricola, you know, this is why there's a space for start player to change the start player because you're going to be, you, you just, 
you're not going to be able to be very competitive, I don't feel, on Agricola if you're always going last because you're not going to get the big wood delivery. You're not going to get that uh, huge uh, stockpile of food in the fishing pond. You're, you're not going to get those three cows, you know. I right. mean, someone is going to snatch them up before you. And so the game kind of punishes you for being last, whereas this game, it, it really kind of um, makes going last into an almost attractive option at times, right? Especially depending on how those dice are rolled. And since the dice are rolled before you kind of make some of those decisions with the siesta and the deliveries, you kind of have, there, there's some interesting thought, you know, like you yeah. really have to think about it. And it's not always bad to go last, you know. So I really enjoy that about the game, too, because that feels kind of fresh to me, you know. At this point, I'm looking for anything that feels a little different, feels a little fresh. That dice mechanic is, is very different. It takes that very standard Castles of Burgundy, Bora Bora kind of feel, but it puts a little twist on it. And it really improves the value of that later turn position, which I really appreciate. So variability... Lots of paths to explore, lots of unique combinations and powers, novel dice mechanic, brutal interaction. Uh, this all makes, for me, a really, really fun game. And it's why, you know, I, I was happy to have the chance to play it and demo it. Uh, you demoed, like, the whole four days. I really enjoy this game. And to me, I think this is one that's going to stick in my collection for a long time. What are your impressions? Like, did you get sick of it? Like, you would have actually been in the position to grow tired of the game, having demoed it, watched it, explained it that many times. How are you feeling about it? Because you must have played it at least 20, 30 times over the course of those four days. So what would you have to say about that? I would have to say that this was probably one of my favorite games to have demoed in a long time because I've done plenty of things for Steven and two years ago when we were at Gen Con um, I did Panamax mm, great game and it's a great game and I remember after four days of demoing going yeah you know I'm alright with not playing this game for a long time now because I, I just sat here and I, I, I taught it for four days straight and yeah, I, I, I think I'm kind of sick of this game. Well, those were eight-hour days, though. Uh, those were those long were days. Those were eight-hour days. We only did four-hour days this time, but yeah, I hear you, yeah. And, you know, when when I finished this year at Gen Con, and I took my copy of Le Grand Ha Home, I was, like, ready to play it the next week mm -hmm, at the game mm -hmm. store, and yep. I was more than happy to teach it at the game store, because, like you said, it is always fresh, because... The way that you build that engine and the cards that you get right. is so unique every time. Right. And, of course, I had, you know, the cool promo ones that Stephen gave well, us. Oh, yeah. yeah. And those are nice because... Uh, those, they're all about money. They're all about money. And instead of having just deliveries of money going to the bank, you actually have cards that you can get money for. And the victory points that you get, I think, are equal to the size of the money that you put on there or something like right, that. Right, right. It was very interesting. Yeah. They also had some cool, you know, abilities for those workers that were part of those bonus cards. It was really neat. And uh, every time I play this game, I always figure out a new way to play it. So for me, that that's something that's really the hallmark of a good game because if I get locked into one play style of a game, it's going to get old. Old, yeah. It's going to get a little repetitive. But this one, I'm always finding new ways to build a better engine or maybe not a better engine but a different engine i want to see how this engine works right and i want to see if this gives me success versus the last time i played it and it could be a totally different way of playing it i've played the game where i had not a single production field the entire game all i did was rely on those dice and rely on those trade commodities right because you can turn those trade commodities they're like wilds yeah. they're like wilds yeah I've played other games where I did just a plethora, there you go, there's a big word for you, mm -hmm. a plethora of production fields because I didn't want to have to worry about. Wait, let me mark that down. <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd gets extra credit for using the word plethora. <laughs> I fixed how my can, pen. How, how can you tell somebody they have a plethora if you don't know what a plethora is? <laughs> I'm sorry, El Guapo. I'm not as smart as you are. 
Nine. What? Name the movie. I, I can't. You can't. He's but too I'm, tired. I mean, I'm so that's not like from that's not like from uh, Blazing Saddles or no. anything, is it? What is that? That's from the Three Amigos. Oh, the oh. Three Amigos. Well, that's because I didn't think that was a very good movie. So, oh, oh boo. Anyway, I like the Three Amigos. Yeah, I, I love each of those guys individually, but together, I think they just really shouldn't have done that. Come on, the whole scene. I'm listening to you do the voice, and I'm like, oh my god, like what a horrible kind of stereotype voice. Okay, anyway. All right, so we're getting off track. We're here. getting off track. But uh, LeGranha, I think for both of us, is definitely a winner. Definitely um, a winner. All, you know, all kind of joking aside, uh, it's a game that has longevity. And that's really what the, the th- you know, what it's all about. So I'm going to be curious if we're, like, doing an episode, a full episode about LeGranha in a year or two, like, down the road. Whether people are still really as enamored of it as we are now. So uh, thanks for uh, that detailed overview. And that is our quick look of LeGranha. <laughs> game that Lloyd and I would like to take a look at is another new game that came out of Gen Con, and this is New York 1901. Uh, This is a game that uh, was kind of released to a lot of kind of buzz and anticipation. Uh, People were really kind of stoked, I think, for this game, Lloyd, because it was kind of, I think, being sort of billed and hyped as like maybe the next great kind of gateway game, you know, a family friendly game, a game that anybody could play. So uh, the designer of this is, uh, oh boy, I'm probably going to butcher it, but uh, uh, Chenier LaSalle, uh, and the artist is uh, Vincent Dutre, and the publisher is Blue Orange Games, uh, which has been making a little bit of noise recently with some really intriguing titles that they've been putting out. So uh, this is a game from 2015, this year, for two to four players, and it's got a playtime listed of about 45 minutes and ages eight and up. All of those things, Lloyd, I would say are totally accurate. Um, yes, definitely. You know, this is a game that is light. It is easy to teach relatively. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. It is accessible and it's very, very fast. It's not a long game. This is a game that, you know, that there's quite a few games that sometimes you hear people say, oh, well, this one overstayed its welcome. Uh, I can feel that way sometimes a little bit about Ticket to Ride. Is that board kind of gets really filled up and you're kind of like, well, what am I doing towards the end? Eh, I'm just going to build this route just to score some points, right? If I build this four route, I'm going to get, uh, you know, these seven points. I think it is. It's been a while since I played Ticket to Ride. But um, you kind of just start doing things for the sake of doing things. Whereas in this game, you really don't have that time. Uh, the game is going to be over before you're ready for it most of the time. Yeah. And usually. so that's one of the things that I find really interesting. So in New York 1901, <clears throat> basically the theme here is you are building the skyscrapers that make up the New York skyline in the sort of golden era of the uh, vertical city, right? As as you know, steel comes into use and cities start building up. So, you know, you got like the Flatiron Building and all the classic buildings that are in New York City, the Woolworth Building, all of these kinds of things, right? And so the board is basically a grid and it's color-coded and there's different kind of regions. So you have kind of like a yellow region, you have this weird kind of oranges-reddish kind of region, Um, you know, and then you have a blue region. And so there's all these different kind of color-coded regions or neighborhoods in uh on the board and you start off with a very simple little building and it's basically a grid pattern so the grid pattern is defined by these um rectangles that are basically uh, two long by one wide and so in a particular district or neighborhood you're going to have quite a few of these little kind of spaces but they're arranged in interesting ways And what you're going to do is you're going to try to put your workers, which are these beautiful little plastic minis showing like a dude standing with like an I-beam, okay? Yeah. You're going to put out like your little workers to kind of claim these lots, if you want to think of it that way. And um, as soon as you claim a lot, one of the things you can do is immediately build on it. So you could build a building that is that two-by-one basic shape. Or... If you had claimed an adjacent lot on a previous turn, um, you know you, you can kind of try to build up a larger footprint for a larger building. 
And of course, the size of the buildings matters, um, despite what people say, size does matter. <laughs> and the size of the building is going to give you uh, increasing points. And so you want to build big if you can. Um, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to uh, get your buildings out onto the board because you're going to score points for them. But the game has this sort of three distinct phases. So you have this Bronze Age, and then you have the Silver Age, and then you have the Golden Age, right? And these are uh, depicted by the different colors on the tile. So you have Bronze Buildings, Silver Buildings, and Gold Buildings. You can't build Silver until you have built enough bronze to kind of, I guess, thematically, maybe I'm stretching here, you know, give you the, the know-how and the technology to build those. And then after building silver buildings for a while, you're going to have the ability to, start, the ability to start building the gold buildings. And once you start building gold buildings, you also have the ability to build these big prestige buildings that are yes. out there, right? So these are the kind of named buildings, the buildings that everybody knows. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to build your buildings Score as many points as you can, but there's a lot more. What, do you ask? Um, you're supposed to say what? What? What else could there be, Jeff? Jeff, what else is happening in this game? Well, let me tell you, Lloyd. There are also <laughs> bonus cards that come out at the start of the game, right? And so the bonus cards might depict um, a street. So it'll say Broadway, for example, or Wall Street. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to build your buildings to score your points, but... Whoever has the majority of buildings, not necessarily the size of the building. Now, here, size doesn't matter. It's the number of buildings that you have on that particular street that's going to determine whether or not you get to claim this bonus at the end. And the bonus at the end is going to be worth a considerable amount of points. We're talking like five, six points, I think. I think most of them are five points. I think they were. Yeah, but five points in this game is a decent amount. And so, you know, if you can claim that, that's going to give you definitely a boost, right? Or it might be a bonus card that tells you whoever has built the most bronze buildings or whoever, you know, the bronze king or whoever has built the most uh, silver buildings or whoever has built the most buildings that are non-rectangular in shape because some of them kind of look almost like little Tetris shapes, right? They're odd yeah, footprints, they right? they really are. And so whoever has built the most non-rectangular buildings, okay, is going to get this bonus. Or whoever has built the most square, rectangular, quadrilateral buildings <laughs> is going to get these bonus points. And so these bonus cards kind of come out at the start of the game. And so it gives you a target, right? It's kind of like longest route in Ticket to Ride. Mm -hmm. But instead of just having one, you have several. Yep. So what makes the game interesting are the bonus cards, the jockeying for position in the lots... The timing of when you want to build and when you want to try to just claim land so you can build a larger building. And then um, also trying to kind of figure out um, when you're going to, you know, if you're going to be able to build one of those prestige buildings. And so there's a lot of really interesting choices. So what I find is that the game can be played in a very pleasant fashion. It can be really low-key, just social, sit around, talk, build some buildings. Oh, look who won, whatever. Yeah. Or you can play really, really mean. <laughs> like and I did with Carter the last yes, time we yes. played. Oh, it was brilliant. And, and why are you picking on a little boy, he said. <laughs> um, and, and that's because, and, and this, it does remind me, because Ticket to Ride, you can play really mean, too. Yes, you can. And just like you can claim a tiny little route in Ticket to Ride that'll mess up somebody's day, mm -hmm. you can claim a lot that will completely wreck somebody's day, right? So if I see that an opponent of mine is trying to claim a large uh, s a set of lots, maybe four lots in this yellow region, okay, um, I might just ruin their day by choosing one that's kind of like almost in the middle of that. Yeah. And what that's going to do is that's going to bust up that kind of grid. Now, they're still going to be able to build stuff, but they're not going to be able to build that big building. They're not going to be right. able to build that prestige building yeah. that they were trying to build. I've just completely hosed them by doing that. And so there's all kinds of take that in there, which, again... You know, I know you can play really aggressively in Ticket to Ride like that as well. So, But this game seems to lend itself, uh, I think, a little bit more to that. So um, what you can do on your turn is you can claim a card. And there's going to be a flop of cards, just like in Ticket to Ride, that are just depicting colors and shape. Yep. And the normal card is that, you know, two-by-one sort of little lot. 
But then there are also these special lots that are three, and they might be in the shape of an L or almost in the shape like of a little T, if I'm remembering correctly, okay? How do you make it T um, with three? Oh, well, it's not. <laughs> fine. Um, but no, you, they, they yeah. can be straighter. They can yeah, be an L. They can be like yeah. a little L. So yeah. it's I'm so, so fine. It's not a T. It's an L. Yeah, I'll remember that when you're doing your Lagranha 30-minute overview. It's so a big L and a little L. It's an L and a whatever. It's a, that's right. It's a capital and lowercase L. Fine. Be that way. It's not a T, folks. Now I feel sad. I gave you limoncello you too, and now lemon. you're now telling I feel me bad. I'm not going to go back and edit this either. I'm going to leave it all in <laughs> so people can see how mean you are. So yeah, it's uh, instead of a two block, it's a three block. So it could be an L, or it could be just a straight line of three. There's very few of those, and when you pick one of those cards, you have to pick one or the other, which is not readily apparent from the rule book necessarily. And this is one of the things when I said it's easy to che- teach, kind of. I think the rule book could have been a little bit better. Um, you know, when you pick one of these cards, it kind of looks like on the card that you could claim both of those, but yeah. you can't, and, and that can kind of mess up the game a little bit uh, if you make that mistake like we did. Um, so you can claim a card and then either put a person on that lot or put a person on there and immediately build. Or the other thing you can do is you can uh, not take a card and you can overbuild. And this is one of the things that you can do in the game that's really kind of interesting. What you can do is you can build a new building of a better era. So silver can cover um, bronze. Gold can cover silver, okay? Gold can also cover bronze, Mm -hmm. but it has to be a better building. And so you can actually cover up one of your older buildings as long as the footprint of the new building is completely comprised of uh, spots that were taken up by the old building or spots that were taken up by the old building plus a lot that you have a dude standing on, okay? If you can kind of hold all that in your head. Then you remove the old building, put your new one down, but you don't lose the points. You don't lose the points for the bronze building or the silver building. So the game encourages you to overbuild. There's not enough space actually on the board to put out everybody's building. Yeah, there really isn't. So you have to overbuild. And when you overbuild, you're going to not lose those points. You're going to score the new points. And you're possibly going to open up a little bit of space for somebody else, depending on the size and shape of the building that you put down. So there's a lot of interesting decisions there for your overbuilding. You also have three special cards that you can use during the course of the game. One of them will allow you to take two sort of lot cards, building lot cards, instead of just one. One of them will allow you to construct two buildings on your turn instead of just one. And one of them will allow you to flush the cards from the display and refill them. Now this... I found to be a really fascinating part of the game because unlike Ticket to Ride, when you run out of train cards in Ticket to Ride, you take the discard pile, you shuffle them up, and you make a new draw pile. Yep. That does not happen in this game. When you run out of cards, that's one of the ways in which the game can possibly end. The game can also end if someone has put out, I think, all but the last two or something, or four. What is it, All but the last four. Maybe I'm thinking two from Ticket to Ride. All but the last four of their buildings, okay? And then that's going to trigger, you know, like a final round kind of a thing. So what makes it really cool is the fact that when you flush those cards, you're actually doing two things. The first thing is you're going to get to see four new cards, hopefully in a color that you're looking for, so that you can lock up a big location where you can put a large building or a prestige building. But it also is speeding up the end of the game. And so I've seen people very calculatingly kind of look at where they are on the score card, on the score track, look at where they are on the bonus cards, and actually use that card, not because they really care about the lot that was for offer, but because they're trying to speed up the end of the game. And so that's a really interesting part of the game, because if you're playing a four-player game, that's basically the ability, you have a flop of four, I believe, right? So that's basically 16 cards that you could flush out of a deck that's not all that big to begin with. And so you can really kind of accelerate the pace of the game if people start doing that. And so you don't really get super comfortable with how much time you have in this game. It's short already. Yep. And it could be even shorter. Possibly. And there's a lot of kind of screwage moves in there where people can really kind of hamper each other and get in each other's way and just be out and out mean. And so to me, 
this is a game that I really enjoy. For me, it's kind of replaced Ticket to Ride. Mm-hmm. I would rather play this than Ticket to Ride. The only thing that I would caution people about is I don't know that the rule book is as clear as it could be, not just for those lot cards that I indicated, but the whole <clears throat> take a lot card or uh, overbuild or do this. Like the, your, your player options, I don't think, are described as clearly as they possibly could be. You know, and some of the things are a little counterintuitive. Like, okay, I can take a card and I can put a dude out to market and I can build there right away if I want to. But, you know, can I, if I have two other guys who are adjacent, take a card and then build a big building where those guys are? And it took like some digging to kind of find the answers to those questions. And that was something that. I kind of felt was a little bit off about the game was the rule book. Maybe it's a translation issue. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I just, because I played this with my wife and my kids uh, quite a few times and, and they were like giving me a hard time. Like every time we play this game, the rules change. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm discovering nuances to the rules that I missed, you know, little subtle phrases. And so here's what I mean. The game plays and feels like a gateway game. And so you would think the rules are incredibly easy and straightforward. But there are some very specific sort of caveats, like I've described already, that you need to know and keep in mind and remember in order to play the game. And that doesn't feel very gateway-ish, right? However, once you got it, you got it. And the game, like I said, can be played real casually or it can be played really thinky where people are really jockeying for position on those bonus cards. People mm-hmm. are um, interfering with each other constantly. Um, I really like it. Uh, what, what are your impressions, Lloyd? Well, I, I actually like this a lot more than Ticket to Ride. Um, I haven't played Ticket to Ride as much as you have right. because I know you, you had a copy of it and you might still have a copy of it. I still do. Yeah. Still have a copy of it. Um, when I started first gaming with you, you kind of passed over Ticket to Ride. You got yeah, Stacey I, I and I into like, yeah. we got into Carcassonne and some of these other ones. Mm-hmm. And I didn't play Ticket to Ride until I'd probably been doing the hobby with you for well over a year mm-hmm. and a half. Easy. Right. And I was like, oh, well, this is a cute game. <laughs> but it was like, you're building a route. Right. Eh, okay. But this one to me has so much more, I think, going on. It's got... You know, Ticket to Ride does have a lot of spatial because right. you're, you're still trying to trace those paths to fill those tickets. And, you know, if you get blocked here, well, how can I get then around through this it, yeah. city and get around? But to me, it, it, New York 1901, you know, you're looking at the board and you're looking at these districts and you're looking at these colors and the way that the blocks are arranged. And, you know, some of the blocks are, like, really skinny and you can't build big buildings in them. Right. Some of them are, you know, pretty big in there. You there's can a lot get, of room to maneuver. There's yeah. a lot of room to maneuver. And, you know, it, it really just gives you a lot of great choices. I enjoy this one a lot because, to me, I, I feel like you can mess with people a little bit more in this one. Yeah, I would agree. And... There's just, like you said, there's extra bonus tiles or bonus cards and things that you can do as opposed to just the longest route. Right, and filling your tickets. And yeah. filling your tickets. You know, there, there's more to think about in this game. And because you don't get to see every single one of those bonus cards every game, mm-hmm. they might change a little bit. They do. There's a lot of them, yeah. You know, you're, you're going to have different choices to make uh, throughout the game. So I really enjoy this one a lot. Yeah, you know, I think that this is going to become a new kind of a a gateway, right? Like almost the next step, a little bit up from Ticket to Ride and Transamerica, Mm -hmm. games like that, um, with a a little bit different of a theme. Uh, and, And I mean, I'll be honest, the theme is not super strong in this one. The theme is strong in the name of the streets, in the grid, the shape of some of the blocks, uh, the name of the prestige buildings. But other than that, it's Tetris shapes on a board and a positional game and blocking. And, I, right. you know, the theme isn't like hugely 
uh, apparent here, but you know, it kind of isn't in Ticket to Ride either. I mean, it, it, these are games that are just accessible. They're fun to play. There's a lot of different opportunities. Um, there's a, a, a lot, I think, of player interaction in this one because the board is so tight. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of the Ticket to Ride kind of, you know, uh, thing where the more players you have, the tighter the board is. The more unfinished tickets you're going to have, the, the lower the scores are going to be. This game feels like that. Even when you're playing with, like, three, um, and quite honestly, even when you're playing with two sometimes, the board still feels tight, which is weird. Yeah, You would think really that is. it would feel much more wide open and unrestricted. You know, uh, like, Ticket to Ride with two is like, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's really just the yeah. luck of the flop, and did I get the color cards I need? This one, because you can just plop that one dude just, like, right down and just ruin somebody's day <laughs> even in a two-player game right. you can just be nasty and and mean to each other and yes, make it really can. difficult and competitive so even though there's more physical board space it's not adjusted at all the way like ticket to ride has like two-player maps and three-player maps like nordic countries is specifically designed for like three and uh you have the switzerland map for two and things like that yeah this one doesn't have any map adjustments, but because I think you're just much more, it's, it's much easier to mess with people, it ends up feeling tight anyway. Right. And so that's something that I really kind of like and appreciate about it. So, um, you know, that's kind of our thoughts about New York 1901 from Blue Orange Games. Uh, this is, you know, this could be a new kind of classic gateway game. I mean, that's two games that we've really liked in this episode. Yep. Um, you know, it sounds like a bit of a love fest, but uh, honestly, I think these are two really solid games that I think are going to be around for a little while. So, um, you know, I want to say thanks to everybody out there uh, for listening tonight. Thanks, of course, to my sponsor, GameSurplus.com. Uh, thanks, of course, to the Dice Tower. Um, please check out all the other great shows in the Dice Tower Network and check out all of the news and reviews that Tom and Eric and Z and the rest of the guys have to offer. And uh, if you like uh, the sound of either of these titles, uh, you can go check out GameSurplus.com and uh, order from Velma and her fantastic family over there. And if you do, please be sure to tell them that the Longview sent you. So for Lloyd Keller and myself, I want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening, and have a great night.